This Valentine's Day, Dunkin's got the perfect pairings to show your love. So get down on one knee with a dozen brownie batter donuts and a cocoa mocha signature latte. Or make them swoon with a strawberry dragon fruit Dunkin' refresher with a Cupid's Choice Donut. Are you ready for love? America runs on Dunkin'. Price and participation may vary. Limited time offer. Hello and welcome to Betty in the Sky with a Suitcase. I'm Betty and I'm a flight attendant for a major airline. I'm also a travel enthusiast. So I bring you funny stories from my travels around the world, from the airplane and from the pilots who fly them. Today's episode is called Airplane Safari because I've got all of these wacky stories about all kinds of crazy animals on the airplane, in the cargo hold, and from my African safari. And I've also got some stories about some celebrities with their pets on board. And at the end of the episode, I'll tell you about my favorite animal from my African safari. So sit back and let's go on an airplane safari together. As a new flight engineer doing a walk around on a midnight flight... On a 727, we flew to Los Angeles to Las Vegas. In Las Vegas, um, it's around 11 o'clock at night. The ramp is dark. I'm new in my first month or two, and I'm supposed to do the walk around. I'm walking around the airplane. There's no one out there. We have like a two-hour sit, and we're flying on the all-nighter to somewhere, Atlanta or somewhere. And as I'm walking around, it's pitch black. I got my flashlight on. I get around to the back cargo bin, and the door is open. Now, my flashlight's in my pocket because I can kind of see stuff, and there's nothing toward the back of the wing. I've already looked at the gear. And I get up close. There's these big boxes in the back of the cargo bin. They look like just big um, cat cages. It looks like a shape of a crate, but I'm not connecting it as an animal crate. I'm just thinking it's a box. And I get close to it, and I realize that it's got holes or cage or something like that and I can't see them it's pitch black and so I get my flashlight out I have a big flashlight big three or a four cell and I'm about four feet from the looking into the cage and I turn the light on I turn the light on and it shines right in a in a basically an orangutan who's hanging his face is staring about three feet from my face I turn on the light it clicks on him it terrifies him he had to be afraid he goes like this of course i'm not expecting to see a stinking monkey i how, wait, how big was it it was a, it was a big it was an orangutan it was big it was as you know it was a full-grown orangutan and he's got his arms hanging on the top he screams i scream the flashlight drops my heart goes into my throat and then I pick up the flashlight and from about 10 feet away, carefully shine it back in the cage. And now he's mad. And he's looking at me like he wants to reach out and kill me. She knows she is really hard to miss. I wouldn't dare to miss. And I for the best. Uh, 
Yeah, she was a, a large, blondish celebrity uh, who, whose weight goes up and down. <laughs> and she has, was married to a very wealthy Texan who passed away. I had them flying um, from New York to Los Angeles. She was with her secretary and her lawyer was in the front, of, sitting in front of her. They were sitting in two first-class seats near our galley. And I remember they were, um, she came on and she was wearing a huge fake white fur coat up to her neck, dark glasses, bright makeup, and a large white fake fur hat that matched the coat. And she was sitting there and the crew was telling me, Keith, oh, I think she has her little dog sugar pie with her. Well, I noticed she did not have a little pet carrier with her. And I could not, I said, well, where is the, where is Sugar Pie? And they said, Keith, Sugar Pie is in the coat somewhere in the cleavage. And I said, well, I said, well, I do not see a little dog there. And they said, well, so as I was serving this woman, this person, her beverages, I kept trying to peer down to see if I could see Sugar Pie's face, and I could not. All I know is, when I served this person her steak, they cut it up in very small pieces and were feeding the steak towards her. And, uh, in the coat. In the coat. And then they asked for a little a paper cup for water or beverage that they were using to drink out of. And at the end of the flight, I did see this person in the lounge with the little dog sugar pie holding it, but she still did not have a little pet carrier for the dog. She had her own carrier. I think so. <laughs> okay, so you were saying that you had a dog on board and he was, um, he was supposed to go in the cargo? Yeah, he, but the captain came up and said that we couldn't carry the dog in the cargo because they were had... Um, a huge quantity of dry ice and so the dog couldn't be down in the cargo area so he wouldn't fit under the seat so the captain did a really nice favor if we had no other place to put him so he put this cute little dog just sweet little thing in the cockpit which was nice of him yes but he soon regretted it <laughs> so this was quite a long flight between Atlanta and Los Angeles and during the flight, we have called the cockpit to find out if they wanted anything to drink, if they wanted lunch. And the bell in the cockpit would go ding dong, kind of like the doorbell. Every time the we ring the cockpit, the dog would. <laughs> so as soon as we found out this, of course, we um, decided that we were going to call the cockpit <laughs> every five minutes. <laughs> and. The, by the time we got to L.A., the pilot was just about ready to pull his hair out. And I went back and asked the lady that uh, owned the dog. I said, does, does your dog bark every time the doorbell rings? And she goes, oh, yes. <laughs> I said, and I said, well, he's driving the captain crazy up in the cockpit. <laughs> you don't normally think of as a pilot to get to see uh, exotic animals. Yeah, we had, and right around that same time we were shipping animals from L.A. 
to New York, and I was told they were going to be on a talk show. I think they were with one of those animal trainers from the San Diego Zoo or the L.A. Zoo, you know, that you see on. Like Jack Hanna. Yeah, it could have been. I didn't ask. uh, And they were being shipped to Conan O'Brien or Letterman or someone back east from the, I think it was from the Wild Animal Park. And we had had an incident. We got, took a delay out of here because they were shipping a small monkey and a Gila monster. What's a Gila monster? A Gila monster is the beaded lizard that lives down in the deserts of south, the southwest uh, part of the U.S. And they're poisonous. One of the few poisonous lizards in the world, I guess. Anyway, they got one in a cage. And he's in a small cage, and he's going with the trainer. And he's the trainer is riding. I guess these animals go back and forth so much, they, are, they have acquired frequent flyer points. They're experienced travelers. They're experienced travelers. The Gila monster oh, wait, was... How big is that? Gila monsters can be up to two feet. I did not see how big the Gila monster was. I just knew we had a Gila monster and a small, like a rhesus monkey. The Gila monster was in first class. <laughs> yes. <laughs> the rhesus monkey, or the monkey, was in the back. Why was that? We, I don't There's know, a rank I among don't know the why, animals. but um, there was a ranking. And there were problems in both sections of the, of the airplane. The Gila monster was Wait, not... Wait, why were they bringing them on? Why weren't they checked? I, I don't know. Maybe because they're special trained, trained animals. I, the Gila monster was definitely in first class. And the reason I know this is that the trainer brought him on, tucked him under the seat down there, and for some silly reason, the passenger beside a frequent flyer didn't want to sit next to a poisonous reptile. <laughs> some strange reason. Yeah, so he had fits. The plane's full, and he doesn't. And it turns out, no other first-class passengers <laughs> wanted to sit next to the Gila monster. The trainers arguing that they'd bought the seat for this guy, and they want him up front. So I, I'm not sure. It seemed to me what they ended up having to do. I think the only way it got to go, the Gila monster had to go down in the cargo bin. And I'm sure that they don't. They're worried about the Gila monster getting too cold or too hot down there. And the cargo bins are comfortable air but not anywhere near like you know what the pasture cabin is and they're concerned about killing probably a very expensive animal so i think though the only way the gila monster got to go was down in the baggage bin the monkey meanwhile had fits for some reason almost like he knew his traveling partner was first class because they apparently had again a seat they bought an extra seat for the monkey but the monkey was in a cage the monkey's screaming bloody murder back there in the back, so they don't want to let the monkey go because the monkey's having fits in the back. But it's funny, they brought the monkey up to the Gila monster's seat, and he was fine. So the passenger didn't mind sitting next to a monkey. Apparently, the monkey was fine. It was the poisonous aspect of the Gila monster that caused the problem. Needless to say, it was about a 15-minute delay while they sorted out bringing the monkey to first class, who was very happy, putting the Gila monster down. No one ever asked the Gila monster how he felt about being down in the luggage compartment down there, but... Apparently they made it. They got off safely in New York. I, like most people, have always wanted to go on African Safari. And African Safari is is not inexpensive. So I had spent a lot of time saving up to go on an African Safari. And I was in the planning stages, getting pretty close to when I was going to go. And every so often in life, coincidences just show up and wouldn't you know who's sitting in first class but Jack Hanna. 
you know, the famous animal zookeeper who's always been on every talk show imaginable way back even with Johnny Carson and Jay Leno. He's always bringing amazing exotic animals on board. He's always wearing the safari outfit. And sure enough, he's sitting in first class wearing the safari outfit. He had come from some interview. And I'm always hesitant to approach celebrities. You never know. They don't want to be bothered if they get tired of talking about things. But, you know, I was still having trouble planning my safari. And so I, I decided to go ahead and ask him when he came up to go to the bathroom. And he was the most wonderful person. He must have spent 45 minutes helping me plan my trip to Africa. He'd been there like 34 times. And he gave me numbers of people to call in the States, numbers of people to contact when I was in Africa. He could not have been more helpful. But what really stood out to me about talking to Jack Hanna was the fact that Every once in a while, you run into someone who really has been blessed and very fortunate in this lifetime, and it's very refreshing to find someone who appreciates it and is very grateful for it. He said something to me that I don't think I'll ever forget. He said, you know, I'm so fortunate that I have had the experiences of many lifetimes in one lifetime, and I just don't know many people who can say that. So I was really moved by him. And he helped me a lot in planning my trip. Well, apparently, <laughs> dogs love the smell and taste of Vaseline. Vaseline? Vaseline, yeah. Who'd have known? Well, what happened was I had this little Maltese. And um, one time I bought a jar of Vaseline and I left the lid off by mistake. It was a brand new jar of Vaseline. <laughs> and I went to work. And when I came home... <laughs> I looked and I noticed that the jar of Vaseline was on the floor, but it was totally, completely empty. <laughs> there was no Vaseline in the jar whatsoever. And I said, what happened to all the Vaseline? And then I looked over on the rug, <laughs> and there was an entire <laughs> pow of clear... <laughs> dog poop about the equivalent of a full jar of Vaseline and my dog rear end was all greasy from the bum down to the whole back of her legs apparently she'd eaten the whole thing and the whole thing just slipped right out well we were working a flight from I think Frankfurt to India either Bombay or Delhi and they never put beef on that flight as a choice because they don't eat beef but for some reason, we had chicken and veal. And of course, after half the airplane had been served, we ran out of chicken. So all there was left was veal. And looking down the cabin, there's all these Indian passengers left. I was on the beverage cart, and working the meal cart in front of me was a junior, a more, uh, quite a junior flight attendant. And I'm sitting here making my drinks, offering beverages, and I'm listening to her. And she's giving people veal, 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 veal. And half of them, are. this one man said to her, Excuse me, miss, but what is, this, what is this meat you are serving me? And she says, oh, sir, that's veal. It's veal. And he said, oh, no, I cannot eat this. I do not eat this, this meal. I do not eat this beef. She goes, no, sir, it is not beef. It is veal. It's veal. This is not beef. No, no, it's a veal. You know, an animal, it's a veal. You can eat it. Oh, okay. So I noticed that the man and his family are happily munching down on this veal. And I'm on the beverage cart trying just choking so when we get into the galley I said do you know what you just did she said what what I said 
those people are out there eating sacred cow. <laughs> the poor flight attendant actually thought that veal was a different animal. She thought it was a veal. She thought it was a veal. They put, uh, going from Seattle to Pullman nonstop, we had... What kind of airplane was it? Beach 99. It's a commuter, turboprop, unpressurized. And we flew from Seattle to Pullman, which is where Washington State University is. And we had uh, four crates of white mice, laboratory mice, and these little boxes with little holes in them, you know. And we got into some turbulence right by Yakima, and one of the crates tipped over. And the little meese got out, and we had uh, 14 seats in that airplane. And they were all girls going back from one holiday. No door, all we had was a little curtain. Usually we kept it open anyway. Well, these little meese started crawling along the floor, and of course these girls are noticing what is down there. And the it was an eruption. I mean, the first little meese that got found. I mean, they're screaming. They're trying to crawl on their seats. They're taking shoes and hitting them. Mice are flying all over. How many mice were running around? Oh, there's probably 20. It was it was total chaos. It was bedlam. So while I was on safari, most of the time you're in a like a Land Cruiser 4x4 vehicle and you really do get to see amazing animals. You get much closer than I thought you would get to the lions and you know, you see zebras and giraffes and warthogs and cheetahs and leopards. I mean, it really is even hard to grasp the amount of animals that are, are there. I, I really was so happy to see you watch you know, animal shows on TV and you're afraid there's just a few of them left or in just a certain area. But really, there, there are a lot of animals around. But we were on our safari and with our itinerary, we really never knew what we were doing until we were doing it. And our driver stopped and he said we were going to get out. And it's kind of surprising because in general, you spend a lot of time in your safari vehicle. So we get out and he said, we're going to actually go walk and we're going to see a rhinoceros. And I was thinking, we're going to walk to see a rhinoceros. It didn't seem, seemed a little strange. So we're walking along. We were in a private game reserve and we're walking along and all of a sudden this warthog, I don't know if you've seen a warthog, but it's a very humorous looking creature. I guess a lot of people would say it's ugly, but it, it's, um, it's got like hair, almost like you'd have hair plugs on a man, like sporadic hair. It's a snout. And this warthog, all the warthogs we had seen were wild and we saw them from a distance. And here this warthog is like brushing against your leg as you're walking like a dog would, like a pet would. And I and myself and my other safari mates were kind of like, ah, you know, and the, the guide we were walking with said, oh, no, it's okay. He's a, a friendly warthog. His name is... Uh, Caroline, her name, I suppose, was Caroline. Who would ever name a warthog Caroline? But the, they had found Caroline. Her mother was killed when it was a baby, so they basically had raised it. So it was a, a pet warthog. So we're walking along, and Caroline just walked right along with us, just like your pet would. They always like to be with, you know, people. So we're tramping along there in the bush with pet Caroline, the warthog, and we come up upon a rhino. 
uh, an actual rhino. And just like Caroline the warthog, the rhino's mother had been killed when it was a baby. So they had raised... The rhino was actually a friendly rhino. I didn't know there was such thing as friendly warthogs and friendly rhinos. But we were actually able to touch the rhino, pet it. There was a guard there with a, a gun. But um, it really was amazing experience to be able to touch a rhino and this might be slightly off color to mention but the rhino had been sleeping and had just woken up and it got a little um aroused it got a stiffy and that member that came out of a rhinoceros was the biggest thing i have ever seen we had men on our trip with us and they're jaws just dropped open it was almost as large as its leg i mean I I would bet money that I will never see another aroused rhinoceros again, but it was truly shocking. So you had a celebrity on board? Yes, it was actually um, an all-nighter flight from Los Angeles to New York, and a certain um, young blonde heiress who was traveling with her small dog, and I would also say she gets a good discount at the hotels, um, was on board and it was very nice but um, at one point she had gotten up and apparently I didn't realize but she had two dogs in a small animal carrier underneath their seat and so she had taken them to the lavatory with her so all you know she's doing her business she's taking them to the lavatory well I, I later found out she, would, um, she had put paper on the floor in the lavatory oh. to let them go to the bathroom which was quite smart I thought but she forgot to lock the door. So I'm standing by the lavatory, and all of a sudden, these two little dogs are running out. And I'm going to pick them up and re- trying to recover the animals. And I realize, like, I'm the only one doing it. And I'm like, okay, you know, come on. I'm not the dog catcher. And so I looked to see where she was. And she also took the opportunity to, to sit down and relieve herself. And that's why she wasn't able to come out. So. I saw a certain certain someone in mid-squat. <laughs> now, I mentioned before, I was very excited about my trip to Africa. Very excited to see all the animals I've been wanting to see my whole life. And wouldn't you know, my favorite animal in Africa was human. <laughs> I was so impressed with the Maasai culture in Africa. I was actually totally fascinated much more so than with the animals. Who would have thought? But I was lucky enough to make friends with a Maasai warrior. We were staying at a tented camp in the Maasai Mara, and they had a couple Maasai warriors there because people like to talk to the Maasai. It's such a fascinating culture. And luckily enough, he liked me, and we became friends, and he went on all our game drives for the next two days, and I got to ask every question I've ever wanted to ask about the Maasai people. And I was just totally and utterly fascinated. I didn't know that much about the Maasai before I went, and I didn't realize that they drank blood. You know, they draw blood from a live cow. They only do it maybe once a year. They know when they can drain a certain cow so it doesn't harm it, and they mix it with milk. And that's actually their main source of sustenance is blood warm blood mixed with milk and then they also eat meat from the cow and I really was so impressed with the Maasai culture and the fact that I I was saying earlier how happy I was to see how many animals there were in Africa and I feel like we actually owe a lot of that to the Maasai because they 
first of all, there's so many of them. I didn't realize they're everywhere walking around in Africa. And the fact that the government just lets them, can you imagine if there were just nomadic people just setting up a village anywhere they wanted in the States? It's a very foreign concept, but there's so many of them. And they live in harmony with the wild animals. And I know we probably, I know we couldn't do it. And they have made sacrifices in their way of life so that they don't have to harm the wild animals. They don't grow any crops. They don't eat any plants. They have no vegetables because they feel like if they planted crops and the wild animals ate them, they would be tempted to kill them. So they don't they don't plant anything. And this way they're also able to move at any given time. It, it's just an amazing culture because everything we think of that we have to do to be healthy, they don't do and they live to be 100. But they also get a lot of exercise. They don't have any preservatives. It, it's, it's just astounding. And actually, my Maasai friend, his name was Ole Tira. He had actually been to the United States, probably one of the only Maasai warriors had been in the United States. A professor was visiting at the same tented camp that he was working at. He learned English from the tourists. And the professor was so impressed with him. He's so intelligent and so well-spoken that he sent him a ticket to go to Colorado to speak at his school and some high schools in the area also. And so Ole Tira went all the way from the Maasai Mara all the way to Colorado in his full Maasai warrior garb. I asked him, he did have to um, check the spear. <laughs> Can't bring that on board. But I said, so you actually went through the airports, like you changed planes in London and the whole get up? And he said, yes. And he said, oh, everybody was so nice. Uh, people actually walked him from one gate to the next because they were probably like, what the heck? You know, you just don't see a Maasai warrior walking around very often. And I was happy to hear how nice everybody was to him in the States and in the airports because it's like returning the favor of how nice he was to me and his country. And, you know, actually, if there's any school teachers out there, can you, can you think of a better experience for school children than actually have a Maasai warrior come and talk in the classroom? And I have his information. If anybody wants to get a hold of him, you can email me at flywithbetty at gmail.com. But that really was an amazing experience being around a Maasai warrior. And who would have thought that my favorite animal in Africa would be the Maasai? <laughs> well, that's about it for this episode of Betty in the Sky with the Suitcase. I hope you'll join me again next time so we can travel the world together. This Valentine's Day, Dunkin's got the perfect pairings to show your love. So get down on one knee with a dozen brownie batter donuts and a cocoa mocha signature latte. Or make them swoon with a strawberry dragon fruit Dunkin' refresher with a Cupid's Choice Donut. Are you ready for love? America runs on Dunkin'. Price and participation may vary. Limited time offer.